This episode of Policing Matters is sponsored by Utility Inc., the innovative technology-enabled service provider recognized for creating groundbreaking digital systems for frontline professions in effectively collecting, analyzing, and managing digital media evidence. You are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. I have had the pleasure of having so many terrific mental health support specialists on the show, therapists, psychologists. I'm grateful for their commitment to helping those in law enforcement, public safety, and their families. In interviewing them, I heard them give overviews of what they saw and how they helped. But this year, I was invited to be a guest on a podcast where the host, a registered therapist, listened to public safety professionals who experienced trauma over their careers and what they used to cope, manage, and even thrive in the face of those traumas. It was an experience hearing myself talk out loud about the issues and what I did to manage them. And it was quite revealing to me, along with the realization that I talk way too much. Today's guest is Lindsay Foss, a registered clinical psych counselor operating in British Columbia. Ms. Foss has a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in counseling psychology. She specializes in trauma-related counseling and affiliated concerns, including PTSD, complex trauma, disassociative disorders. She also offers services related to life transitions, anxiety, depression, vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, abuse, suicide, and stress management. She owns and operates Thrive Life in British in the British Columbia. Welcome to Policing Matters, Lindsay Foss. Thank you. It's so good to be back with you. It's fun to see you again. Yeah, and it's more comfortable for me to be on this side of the mic. <laughs> Funny enough, I was reflecting that it's less comfortable for me to be on this side. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we are in the season and, you know, all year long, um, you know, we have introspection and we think about where we are in life uh, around the holidays, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, um, you know, into the into the new year, we start to think about uh, what happened and what could have happened. Uh, thanks for all you do in helping all the frontline responders and their families. You include all, including police, firefighters, and emergency dispatch people, and EMS people. Have you seen a common thread among the group all year, and maybe with a, a concentration on the holidays? Yeah, I mean, I think I I um, clinically have gotten to see a very common thread that frustrates me beyond belief. Um, and not just all year, but for every year for a very long time now. Um, certainly it seems like it is, uh, the impact of it is heightened at the holidays uh, because the holidays are really tricky for a lot of people. Um, but I think the really common thread I see across the board of first responders is this piece about under, um, under informing and under training people in what they need to be looking for around their own mental health and wellness, as well as having skill sets to intervene for themselves. And so that's been a large part of why I've um, started working so much and so differently with first responders and frontline workers is because clinically in my office, I hear really common stories across the board 
um, of people who have gotten so far down the drain that they really do need to be in therapy to try to help pull them back out. But when you hear their stories, you hear so much of the stuff that like really could have been changed way earlier in the game had they known what to look for, but they missed all the early indicators because they didn't know that those were the things that they should have been looking for. And even if they had known that that's what they should have been looking for, they didn't necessarily know what they should have been doing about it. Um, and I think that's a really frustrating disservice that we're doing to the people who sacrifice so much to help our communities. Um, I got to the point hearing those stories over and over again, where I was so incredibly frustrated by it, that it spurred me to doing some of the projects that I'm working on now, because it's not rocket science. It's a lot of stuff that we can know, we should know, we should be building into core trainings, but for some reason we're not. And certainly I think during the holidays, we see the impacts of those things far more where depression we know increases in general population, but certainly more so in first responders. We know that substance use tends to increase at this season. We know that suicide rates tend to go up around this season. We know that, you know, the professional stuff is also influenced by the personal stuff and vice versa. And when we're into the holidays, we're also into so much more family stuff. And so that has an impact too. And so we just see it a lot more heightened during this time. Yeah, you became a therapist first in your practice. And then at some point you shifted concentrating on trauma inflicted on the first responder community. How'd that happen? Great question. So when I first started in my career, I started out working um, mainly with uh, domestic abuse and sexual assault related trauma, primarily with women. I was working in a battered women's association. Um, and when I transitioned into private practice, I actually picked up a contract with um, our version of workers' compensation. And so when I began that work, I was getting increasingly first responders who were coming to me with severe PTSD, uh, which is an area that trauma is a, a general area I've worked with in so many ways. And then as the stories felt like it, it actually started to feel like Groundhog Day, where I felt like I was giving the same spiel about like, this is how your brain works. This is what prolonged stress does to your brain. This is how you see it in your body. This is what the impacts are to your family and your relationships and your life. These are the things that we should know about how we're functioning. And these are the ways that we can intervene. And I kept getting this response. It was like, oh my God, why did no one tell me this sooner? Maybe if I had known earlier, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair right now. And so I, I got really invested in these people who like people who do these jobs do them because they really have a heart to help. Like when you ask them, why did you do this to begin with? Their answers are almost always because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. I wanted to help people. Like it's from this very genuine heartfelt place of wanting to help. And so you hear that and then you hear how the effort towards helping has really done them such a huge disservice and has ripped apart relationships, their kids aren't speaking to them, they're divorced twice, right? Like all of these things. And it's just so heartbreaking mm -hmm. that these people that are giving so much of themselves to try to make a difference are sacrificing so much of themselves to try to do it. That shouldn't be like that. And so I think a, a large part of the transition for me just came from this place of like, 
I'm kind of that person too. Like I got into this to help and make a difference. And I hear parts of myself echoed in that. And I've struggled with my own versions of burnout. And there's so much to it that is, again, not rocket science to make a difference to. And so just like, how do we try to shift that so that we're not getting so many people having to end up in my office Mm -hmm. that they can be doing more of the preventative work? Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. And I'm I'm thankful for what you do and the fact that you shifted to first responders. That's that's just awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. And um, you know, as you're talking about that, it makes me think about, you know, the old adage of contractors and you know you go to a contractor's house and half the front's done and dug up and you know half the boards are off the wall and you know they're yeah. so intent on fixing other people's houses that theirs often remains neglected and you know the way you just explained it made me think about you know first responders that we are so concentrated on helping others and getting focused on our work because it's important sometimes dangerous that yeah. sometimes we neglect to do the things for ourselves and our families totally i mean i think that's a piece of it um i think a huge thread i see across the board is a lack of like taking the time to even notice if I'm okay or that I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. It's also like not knowing how to see that I'm not okay. Cause some of the early indicators that we're not doing so well can be hard to spot and name. Um, So things like, you know, I'm watching TV a lot more or I'm scrolling more on my phone. Those are really efforts at like numbing out and on their own, like on the face of them, they're not necessarily bad, But there may be a bit of an alert if we take them that way, that maybe I'm not doing as great as I could be doing. Maybe I should be doing something to support myself differently. And if we don't make that connection, we don't know to intervene in it. So we don't know to look and do it a little bit differently in an effort to try to like protect and prevent ourselves from further going off the rails. And so it's these like little things that are just they accrue over time. And we don't necessarily know to call them what they are. And that makes it really hard to then name the problem to try to solve the problem. Right, right. You know, I attended this conference uh, with the California Police Officers Association recently, and two El Cajon sergeants showed a slide with about 30 or so traumatic experiences from seeing homicides to just dead bodies Uh, crime against children, uh, witnessing other deaths, suicide, traumas directly inflicted upon oneself. They showed this slide and they said, I think the average person might see 40 or experience 40 to 50 of these traumas. And then uh, first responders may witness hundreds of these events. And as they showed this slide and they said, give, you know, two points for every one of these things that you've seen. And repetitively, you know, we've seen some of these things multiple times, multiples of multiple times. Well, what is the impact on first responders of, of this accumulated trauma that they witness and sometimes participate in? How are they manifested down the road? Yeah. So I'm going to say a couple things about that, because I think that the direct exposure to trauma is a really substantial piece that we need to talk about. I think there's this other piece, though, that we don't talk enough about, um, which is the systemic challenges that also face first responders. So I'll circle back to that in a second. But 
Um, generally, when we talk about trauma exposure, what happens is it activates a stress center part of our brain. And our stress center part of our brain is not intended to be active for prolonged and repeated experiences, right? Mm -hmm. It's meant to do a job that's very specific. It's meant to like walk out and see a bear and go, oh shoot, there's a bear. And it activates us to either fight back against the bear, run myself away from the bear, or like hold really still and hope to God it doesn't see or smell me and passes me by. And then I have a system that's supposed to help shift me back into my regular brain and calm myself back down. When I experience something like that, and then a little bit of time passes, when I think back on seeing the bear, I probably don't have a super active traumatic reliving of that experience because it came and it went and it was over. When we are first responders in situations, we don't get to necessarily fight back or run away or even hold still and hope to God no one sees me. Our job is to like be in it and somehow supersede our stress center. So we're supposed to be like better than our brain actually wants us to be, right? We have to be this professional in the room in this moment. And so we kind of just have to like hold, right? I have to make rational decisions about when to act, how to act, what to act with. But I, my brain still wants to fight back, run away or freeze, right? Like it still has those innate wants, mm -hmm. but those don't get expressed necessarily because I'm in this state of just holding it. And when that happens, we embody that traumatic experience differently. It gets locked into our brains in a different way. So instead of it being a memory like any other memory where I lived through it, I got out the other side and on I went, it becomes locked in the part of your brain that holds stress. And that part of your brain does not do a very good job of being a memory center. Um, how it holds memories is different than how other parts of your brain holds memories because that part of your brain actually doesn't have a clock. So it doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. Mm. It experiences everything in present tense. And so what that means is when we live through some of those experiences and we reflect back on them, our brains and our bodies actually experience them almost as if they're happening again, which means we have difficulty gaining distance from them. Mm. And because of that, when we are doing our day-to-day -day life and we see something or hear something or smell something that triggers aspects of those memories, we will tend to have really disproportionate reactions to those things, right? So like I have a corrections officer that I work with who talks about being triggered by the steam on the mirror that gets like smeared from someone wiping it off because it reminds him of experiences he's had in the jail. Right. And so like things that are just really innocuous, he's at home, he's just going past his kid's bathroom, but as it's venting out, he sees this and he's having like trauma activation to an environment that's perfectly safe. Right. And so that's what it will start to create is these experiences where we feel kind of actively unsafe in situations that are perfectly safe while weirdly feeling oddly at ease in situations that are highly traumatic to everyone else because we've been trained so well to hold in those spaces, mm -hmm. but then we're paying the price for it in the other spaces that we exist in. So it'll show up in all kinds of ways. It'll show up for a lot of people in, you know, increased heart rate in weird situations. Some people will get panic attacks. 
Um, for a lot of people, it means more kind of numbing and avoidance. So watching more TV, drinking, using drugs. Mm. Um, a lot of people will find there's impacts in their relationships. They have more difficulty experiencing closeness or experiencing the safety they need to be vulnerable with the people in their lives. Um, a lot of people will take some of that longing to fight back and they'll move it to people like their kids where they will suddenly be really aggressive or have a lot more fights with the people in their lives. So it can show up in a lot of ways. It can also show up in our bodies. So for a lot of people, um, what they don't know to look for is um, long periods of time where they're very unwell. Um, I know I did an interview on my podcast with an RCMP officer uh, named Jennifer Pound who talked a lot about her experience of PTSD manifesting as sickness. And so she went to see her doctor. He couldn't really tell her anything about what was going on. They did all the tests. Um, and she just could not get over this cold or flu that went on and on and on. Well, what we know about our stress center is that it actually has an impact on things like our immune function. And so when we're in prolonged and persistent stress over and over and over again, it can have a very real impact on our body's ability to fight things off. It can impact inflammation. It can impact pain tolerance. It impacts digestive systems. Like it has a direct influence over a ton of our body. And so challenges that we might be going, oh, I'm just having a lot of stomach issues lately. We may not be associating to the fact that that's actually trauma and stress in my body. Hmm. I want to circle back though, before I forget. Sure. Because I think we talk a lot about, um, the exposure trauma in, in things like first response work. And it's important for sure. But one of the things I actually hear from a lot of my clients is that while that's the stuff that has an impact, it's actually less the stuff that kind of drove the train off the rails. Um, and the stuff that actually drives the train off the rails for a lot of people is the stuff they weren't trained for or weren't told to expect. So the exposure stuff is the stuff we kind of know is going to come, right? Like when I sign up to be a police officer, I expect I am likely going to have these kinds of events happen. When I sign up to be a paramedic, I expect that I'm going to likely have some of these events happen. I know that that's what I'm signing up for. What we don't necessarily know that we're signing up for is some of the like systemic political junk that lives within the organizations and agencies that we're working with. And so a really good example is I had a, a different corrections officer, actually, that I was talking to who said, you know, I dealt with this very significantly traumatic event. I followed protocol to the letter. I did all of the things the best, rightest way I could. And then I was suspended without pay for three months while they ran an investigation to determine whether my actions were in line with policy. And so it feels like this slap in the face, right, that I, I did all of the things I did it exactly right. I put myself through this thing. And then not only is it not appreciated or valued, but I'm actually penalized for having done something that no one else wants to do, right? Like no normal people want to do this job. And so I do this really hard thing. I sacrifice of myself and then I'm paying the price on both sides. Mm. And I think that happens a lot more than people name. Um, I hear that from medics a lot that they feel under supported by their employer. Like it's hard to call and book off because we just faced a traumatic event. 
um, that that's almost looked down upon. Here right now we have a shortage of paramedics and ambulances on the road. And so it actually genuinely is looked down upon because the, the public need is so high and the staffing currently is so challenging. And so they're not permitted or it feels like they're not permitted to do what they need to take care of themselves in those moments. And it's not just the event, it's how the event is like held and managed by the people around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, I mean, you bring up a great point about the morale issues and the support from your own organization and your family, but I don't think the public understands uh, the impact of the last couple of years here, at least yeah. down here in in the U.S., probably up there in, in yeah. Canada as well. I've, I've talked to um, people recently um, and in, from Canada. And I don't think the public realizes the impact of the vilification and the unfair scrutiny. And, um, yeah. you know, I call it the offender as victim uh, narrative mm-hmm. that's out there that further vilifies police and uh, law enforcement. Um, yeah, that takes a big toll. And uh, when you see people retiring without another job, um, yeah. uh, that's I think that's in, indicative of that morale impact. Absolutely. No, and for sure we're seeing it here too. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of different spaces, right? Like we're seeing it right now in nursing quite a lot um, where nurses are mass exodusing. Mm-hmm. Um, in part, we have a, a different system here, right? We have a public system here in Canada for healthcare. And so um, the the way that demand looks is a little bit different um, and it doesn't stop, right? Like people don't not go to the hospital because they can't afford to pay the bill. Everyone goes to the hospital for every little tickle and sneeze because they can and don't have to pay for it. Um, Now that's great because it means we catch a lot of illnesses that probably don't get caught down there in some populations that can't afford some of the healthcare pieces. But the trade-off is that our system is heavily overburdened right now, especially having just lived through COVID. Mm. Um, But at the same time, our medical staff are so overworked and we're not turning out new graduates as quickly as we need to for how quickly people are choosing to retire early, how quickly people are just choosing to leave the profession because it's not worth it. Yes. So you have some great stuff on your website. You have some great episodes on your podcast. I want to get into the uplifting side of our conversation. Let's do it. (laughs) Uh, In just a moment. At first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Utility provides a universe of intuitive solutions for effectively capturing, analyzing, managing, and sharing video evidence. Technologies include a variety of cameras, sensors, devices, as well as situational awareness software solutions for law enforcement, first responders, transportation agencies, and utility providers. To learn more about utility and its technology solutions, visit utility.com. That's U-T-I-L-I-T-Y dot com. And we're back and speaking with Lindsay Foss, registered clinical counselor and host of Behind the Line, a podcast about first responders and frontline workers. Great stories you have there, Lindsay. Um, you talked about the fight or flight. 
and the memories experienced, um, you know, when we go back and think about something and the impact it has, I, I have to think that the positive side is when you hear that song that they played at your wedding, or you remember going to a park or a swimming pool where you taught your child to swim, that you also get the good feelings and memories from those things. And that's a benefit, no? I mean, it can be, um, I will say, I mean, you want to go to positive and uplifting and I'm going to take a wind out of your sails a little bit there. The challenge is that our brain actually doesn't register those things quite the same way. So yes, they have value, but only to the extent that we consciously make an effort at making use of them. Mm. So the funny and sneaky thing about your brain is that it actually grants more valuing to negative experiences than it does to positive ones. I know it's crappy, right? Um, and it, we actually know it does this. You can, if you research any like couples counseling or parenting kinds of things, they'll talk about how you need, I think it's seven compliments or seven positive interactions to, to counterbalance one negative one. And it's based on the same principle. Our brain hypervalues negative experiences because it believes it needs to learn from them. It says, oh, that was really bad. I don't want to live through that again. I need to remember everything about this so that I can do it differently the next time right? Whereas the positive things it looks at and goes like, well, that's already fine. I don't need to think about it or worry about it or do anything about it. So it just kind of shelves those, right? And so the challenge is, is that you're right. Those positive memories and experiences have a ton of value for us, but we have to work harder to connect with them. It has to be like active and intentional to do that. Whereas the negative ones just kind of sit there and they just like call to us from, right? Like, there's like, yeah, that thing that happened last week and that thing from 10 years ago and that thing, right? Like they just live there and keep kind of chanting at us. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so all my um, uh, playlists uh, yeah. are gonna be at least seven songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> seven good songs for everyone that brings up a bad memory that's right it. Yes. seven great songs right no country western songs about losing your dog <laughs> and your truck and yeah all that okay yeah. so you have a webinar series uh called beating the breaking point that you've done tell us about that yeah so beating the breaking point was actually what started all of this it came before the podcast um, and it was this product of my frustration. So I had actually had a week of time where I had had a number of first responder clients from various areas and professions come in and honest to God, it felt like Groundhog Day. So it was like this one week that I just like every other session, I was saying the same thing. And I said it every day for a week. And at the end of that week, I went home and told my husband, like, I'm just so frustrated because I feel like I'm just on repeat. Like, I feel like I could record myself, press play and step out of the room and go do something different. Um, because it's just like this basic informational piece that has a ton of value. We need to know it. But like, I have said it a thousand times this week. Um, and he goes, well, why don't you do that? Why don't you just record it and make it be available? And so I think he didn't know how much he was biting off when he suggested I do that. Um, because what it turned into was this seven part online training series that I decided to build. Um, and so it's a, uh, course that you can find online. It is a video training series. It goes through seven modules, each module is under an hour long. We tried really hard to make it so that it would fit into people's lives. It comes with a really, if I do say so myself, killer workbook. 
um, that the goal of it is to try to personalize it so that at the end of the program, you have a very personal strategic plan to help proactively protect yourself from some of the effects of things like burnout, compassion, fatigue, and vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm. And so it's all of the best stuff that I teach my clients. Um, and the effort is to try to replace or do what I think training programs should be doing in their core training, um, but just doing it myself because I'm sick and tired of waiting for everyone else to get on board and do it. Yeah, that's great. And it's it's available on your, your website as well yeah, to tap is. into. Yeah, yeah if and, anyone you know, wants I, to find it. Okay. I'll I'll put a, a link in the show notes so our listeners Perfect. can just click on it. And you know, as much as I complain about being a guest on a podcast, uh, because I you know, I have to share some things. Uh, you know, my wife and I listened to our podcast where you interviewed me and yeah. it was revealing and it was, you know, it, it was full of humor and good um, memories for me in recounting some of the questions that you asked. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a lot of these. And I, what I loved was that your focus was on, okay, you have had this job, you've had some negative encounters. How did you deal with them? What did you do for resilience? Um, what do you do outside the job that, you know, helps you uh, yeah. be, you know, more physically uh, into something besides the job? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Tell us about your format and, and some of the things you've heard from guests. I mean, so I, on the podcast reference, a lot of things, there's lots of episodes where it's just me talking. And then there's lots of episodes where we do bring guests on, uh, the summer series we did that, that you were a part of was really fun to do because we very intentionally brought on very diverse clients from very different professions, walks of life. Um, we tried to diversify gender. We tried to diversify ethnicity. Like we wanted to just hear voices that feel very representative of those working on the front lines. And we did, we asked everyone the same set of questions. So while um, they might sound a little bit different one to the next, by and large, the themes were really interesting to hear. Um, and I actually use yours and one other that, that we did this summer quite a lot as examples, even when I talk to clients here, because I think you and, and this one other person who were uh, more like retired end of the career spectrum had this really interesting shared theme of um, diversifying what you did within your job. And that sounded like this really common protective factor that the two of you shared. And both of you spoke to it quite a lot mm -hmm. in your respective episodes that um, anytime a training came available to do, I did it. Anytime there was opportunity to kind of move into a different role or try a different um, you know, division or unit or whatever, I, I did that. And that in not staying stuck in any one spot for too long, in some ways helped to like ensure that you were always learning and growing and investing in you and your profession, but also not staying trapped in the same stressors. The, for sure, there's always going to be stressors, but the stressors kind of change. And so with that, we're adapting, right? We're not like feeling this feeling of being victimized by what we're stuck in. And so that was a really cool piece that I've actually been really excited to share with some others who are feeling quite stuck. Um, and it's been a really valuable piece to be able to bring to them. But it's also just been a lot of stories of 
people who really do love what they do. Like, I think that's a really fascinating thing. And again, we like come full circle to where we started that the people who do these jobs want to do these jobs. Like they love the work they do, but they get to these places where it becomes almost impossible to feel like they can continue doing it. And that's the really hard place is how do we help people to be able to do these jobs they love because we need them. Like we need you guys out there doing the things. I can't do those things. I I would not be able to do many of those things, but I'm so thankful that there are people who do. And so how do we keep you guys doing what you're doing and loving what you're doing? Because we need those people. Yeah, thank you. That's, yeah, I appreciate that. And it's it's funny when you talk about, you know, that sort of um, strategy to move on and move to different assignments and promote that's counterintuitive to a lot of people who are just really comfortable in the positions they are and sometimes in smaller agencies there aren't as many opportunities to move yeah. i mean they're they're you know the the ship captain crew cook all of it right mm-hmm. at their agency so i think the the getting out to training and getting a diverse diversification of your portfolio of training not yeah. just the mechanics of policing or firefighting or EMS work, but also into some of the other aspects of the job that we don't apply maybe directly to, but but things like self-help and um, you know improving your sleep, your fitness or whatever else. I think those are important. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of um, what I see, especially in some of those smaller organizations, smaller communities, things like that, Um, I mean, it happens everywhere, but it it seems to happen more in the smaller areas is this like insulation effect that happens for first responders where they start to like only relate with people who are within the job or like adjacent to the job. And there's value in it. Like it's, it's important to have coworkers and colleagues and people that get it, that we can bounce things off of and debrief with. But when we insulate ourselves with only those kinds of people, we also promise ourselves to only have a certain kind of influence. Mm. Um, and it's not a normal influence because I, y- all of y'all are great, but it's not normal. What you do is not normal. And as you do it longer, you become less normal. Like it's not normal. It's not normal to run into the fire when everyone else is running away from the fire. That is not normal, right? And so it's important that we have normal, quote unquote, people in our lives that help counterbalance us and expose us to like, oh, right, there's still hope in the world. Oh, right, there's still goodness in the world. Oh, right, there's still joy that exists in this world. And if we're not careful about that and quite intentional about it, we can get sucked into a very kind of narrow way of experiencing this life. And it's too short for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe we should start making our New Year's resolution list right now. Diversify, right. you know, create different friend groups, uh, yeah. read some books, get out. Get and- a hobby that involves people. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of people right now that I feel like I'm recommending curling clubs and like rowing clubs and like any, a club of any, participate in something where there is a group of people with a common interest. Go be a part of that. Yeah. So do you need a curling iron to join the curling group? Yes. Is curling not as popular there in California? Is that not so much a thing? It's pretty popular here. Right. I'm making a joke. Curling is in your hair, but you're talking about Uh 
You're talking about the the ones we see in the Olympics with the brooms and the the sweepers. Yes, the big rocks. Yes, that's the the one. It's very popular here. Yes, I'd imagine. (laughs) Hey, respectfully, your time, I want to wrap up. But I mean, you have so much good stuff on your website. Um, Leave our listeners with some coping strategies, what they can do for themselves uh, this time of the year and all all year long. uh, And what kind of help um, should they see even if they are feeling you know pretty okay right now yeah so there's never a bad time to see a therapist I know that there's a lot of stigma still as much as we're working really hard at trying to to bring that down there's still a lot of stigma around therapy um but the reality is is it's way easier to start with a therapist when you're in a well-ish place than when you feel like you're at rock bottom it feels way more desperate and harder to find someone that you connect well with because the desperation just means they need to get in to see someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're in a well place, use this time proactively to find someone you connect with. You don't have to go all the time. Go once a month and just use it as a bit of a touch in. But it can be a great kind of accountability piece that helps keep us on the right path. And a person that can help see and notice when we're maybe starting to go off the rails, right? Because they hear our stories, they hear how our weeks have been going, our months have been going. And they can hear some of those subtle moves that may mean that we're going down a rabbit hole that's not so good for us. And they can help us catch that a little bit sooner. Um, I think the best thing I can recommend for people to be doing this time of year, but any time of year, is take a couple of minutes every once in a while, kind of consistently, to self-assess how you're doing. Um, We have a tool on our website. There's lots of other ways you can do it. But we have a tool that's an indicators checklist that helps identify really early on where you're at in the road to burnout and helps just kind of identify any subtle changes. And so we encourage people to use it on like a monthly or quarterly basis, just to notice if there's any changes from last time I did it to this time that I did it, because it can help us catch things a little bit quicker and then intervene a lot earlier so that we're not getting so far down the rabbit hole. (laughs) And then really the best stuff is all of the self-care stuff that Um, I I know self-care comes with a bit of a connotation. It sounds like bubble baths and manicures and spa days and whatever. It's actually not about that. It's about the stuff that provides us with a sense of mattering, right? It's the stuff that feels like I value me and it's the stuff we would do for other people, right? So like when you think about when you were like trying to woo your significant other, you maybe like made them a really sweet mixtape that had all your favorite combined songs on it. Well, like, why don't we make our own playlist that just is my own favorite songs, right? We would take them out on a coffee date and buy them their favorite cookie and coffee. Why don't I take me out for my favorite cookie and coffee? And it's not just the action. Um, I often am really emphatic about this. It's actually the heart with which we do the action that matters most. So it's not just about doing the coffee and the cookie and like shoving it in your mouth and calling it a day. Look, I did self-care. I tick the box, Right. That's actually not what it's about. It's about taking the time to think, what would I like today? You know what? I'd really like this. That would make me feel kind of good about my day today. I'm going to go and and go out of my way to do that for myself. And I'm going to sip it and savor it. I'm going to smell it and hold it. Like I'm going to enjoy it, right? And so there's lots of things that we do that can look like self-care on paper, but they don't actually count unless you're doing them with a heart that is in, in, is trying to ensure a sense of care and valuing. So those are the heavy hitters. Awesome. So thanks so much. Those are all great tips for our listeners. And um, 
I am going to add your link. Can you tell us uh, what your website is real quick? You know what? My domain name is really annoying. So the best bet is just to Google it. So beating the breaking point resilience training is what you can Google to find the course. And you can find the podcast behind the line um, on any podcast platform, or you can Google it and find it on our website. Okay. And it will be listed in the show notes. So listeners awesome. and the show, go to the links below, click on them and check out Lindsay Foss and her articles and her webinars and her podcasts, all great information that we could all use. And hey, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for the things that you do to help uh, uh, people in public safety across the board. Thanks, Lindsay. My pleasure and such a joy to be here with you. Thanks. Great. And hey, to our listeners, hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, again, check out the links in our show notes below and let me know what you think. Let me know who you want to listen to, who you want to hear from, and drop me a line at policingmatters at policeone.com. That's policingmatters at policeone.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, have a great, safe uh, season out there. Uh, take care of yourself. Check out some of the tips about things you can do to to keep yourself good throughout the season and throughout the whole year. Um, yeah, you're worth it. And, and I'd love to see you uh, come back and join us again uh, real soon. All right, take good care and happy holidays.